0: The electric chair, a different kind of animal. Welcome, one and all, to the 20th episode of The Electric Chair. How about that? How about that? 20. Who would have thunk? Oh, yes, yes. I'm Midnight Corey, and I thank you once again for listening and for sticking with me during uh, this nearly half year of the electric chair, which has been really exciting. So, got a lot for you this week. Of course, you can hear this on Stitcher Smart Radio, of course, Stitcher.com. We're also on Spookshow.tv. Uh, the Electric Chair 2D is featured there, and I'm very grateful to be part of that. And uh, both shows are featured on uh the horror podcasting alliance at horrorpodcastingalliance.blogspot.com. so it is super exciting super cool well this week got a lot of cool stuff for you but let's start off with some feedback as always now uh the feedback line of course i am not prepared here at all because i can never remember the number uh the voicemail line is 206-337-5096 you can always call in and leave me a nice message or you can uh, always email me an mp3 or uh, send it right through the contact page on the website as always so lots of avenues for you to speak with me and uh, give me your feedback which i always appreciate it and this week it is super cool that my friend jamie from devour the podcast and evil episodes has called in to leave some feedback about uh, all this return of the living dead and shawn of the dead stuff so let's listen to my wonderful friend jamie
1: hi Corey. it's jamie um, I don't really, I guess, need to tell you how much I love listening to you. You already know that. You are my Sunday morning. Um, this message is uh, directed to Miss Boy Boy. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank you for the kind words you had to say about my being on Corey's show. Uh, I enjoy every second of it, every time I would be there perched on his desk if you would let me, because uh, it's, it is always an amazing time. Secondly, you were talking about Return of the Living Dead versus Shaun of the Dead. I don't necessarily think that Shaun of the Dead is better than Return of the Living Dead. I really don't compare the two. To me, they're two completely different types of movies. Yes, I think they're both comedies. But truth be told, Return of the Living Dead scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. I mean, you know, you've heard the story. I mean, if you've heard me on this show, you've heard the story about the graveyard next to the drive-in where I saw it. And I didn't think it was funny at all when I first saw that movie. It scared me. Um, But the difference between the two is huge. Um, I do, however, praise Sean for its brilliance. I think that it is is an example of almost perfection, really. It... uh, the way it approaches the zombie subgenre, and then also manages to squeeze in nods to other films within the genre throughout. I mean, they're seamlessly blended, and if you're not a big fan, you're not going to catch them. I love that. I love little love letters to the fans, and uh, I just feel like it was completely brilliant. But they are two completely different movies. And they affected me two completely different ways. I really can't compare the two. If I have to say, like on a top ten list, yes, I prefer Sean. But, um, and I don't think it has anything to do with anything else that was going on at that time. Um, I don't I don't judge a movie based on whether or not it's the best one in a pile of crap. Um, <laughs> if I don't like it, I don't like it. And if I love it, I love it. And, you know, I love that one. Anyway. I hope the babbling that I just did helped clear that up some. If not, then you know, I will be happy to babble some more. And by the way, excuse me. By the way, I would love to talk to you sometime about this on a show. And I don't know. Maybe we can join Corey sometime course that would make me happy <laughs> okay uh thanks again Corey. you do a fantastic job love the show so much and uh can't wait to talk to you again very soon which we are about to do coming up so i will see you then bye
0: jamie you know it is always an amazingly wonderful thing uh, to have you on the show and to hear your voice and to speak with you. And uh, I really, really appreciate that you took extra time this week to call in that. That means a lot. Um, And yeah, I mean, I, I share a lot of your thoughts about return and Sean and pitting them against each other. You know, I talked about that a lot last week, Um, but uh, yeah. And, and misfit boy, uh, of course, I know he loves both movies as well. And he, you know, he's kind of the same way, you know, it's like, how do you how do you compare these two? And it's really tough. But I would love, um man, if the three of us could get together and hang out and talk about this even more. Uh, the greatness would just like make my head explode. You know, I don't know if I could take the wonderfulness that would occur <laughs> there seriously. But uh, that would be awesome. I think we ought to plan for that. And it's funny that you say that, Jamie, because. Um, before Misfit Boy had actually uh, you know, come onto the show and said how much he enjoyed uh, hearing you and your thoughts, um, we were talking about this kind of back and forth, I think on Facebook a little bit, just privately. And, and Misfit Boy messaged me and he's like, dude, Jamie is a great guest on your show. She has a lot of great thoughts. And I'm like, yeah, I know, it's fantastic. And then um, eventually I messaged back and I, I, I said, you know, the three of us really sometime ought to get together. And uh, and really talk about this some more. And, uh, you know, we never firmed anything up or whatever. And then you you left the message saying that you'd like to do that. So maybe we should set something up. Let's do it. Let's do it. Why not? So uh, as always, Jamie, it's great hearing you. I appreciate all your thoughts because you are brilliant. Uh, Brilliant. And uh, everybody should be listening, of course, to Devour the Podcast, to Evil Episodes, and Misfit Boy, of course, on A Little Dead Podcast. So, yeah, awesome, awesome. But uh, great stuff. Well, this week, um, I have a very outstanding author that I've spoken with. His name is John F.D. Taft, and he just released, uh, not long ago, a book of short stories. They're horror, for the most part, uh, called Little Deaths. And it's super exciting. I got to meet him and talk with him. He's a brilliant guy. Fantastic to talk to. Really easy to talk to. And uh, I get to talk about the book. And we discuss a werewolf movie. Um, Which, uh, you know, if you've seen the graphic for this episode, then you you know what it is already. But I'm not going to tell you. I'll just let it be a mystery. Or maybe you could just read the show notes or or something and see what it is. But uh, I'm going to leave you hanging uh, here anyhow. So, uh, yeah. Uh, And by the way... Uh, At the end of the show, I will be announcing a very special new contest that we'll be uh, holding that um, I kind of came up with uh, towards the end of the interview with John. So uh, be sure that you stick around to the very end hear all that goodness and how you can enter in a very exciting contest so here we go enjoy the show stop him tanner he's
1: close enough turn off your electrode gun i can't get it it's jammed stop it, you fool. i'm
0: really happy to be talking right now with a fantastic author who i just learned of i just found out about and i just read and boy oh boy this is a guy to watch for i welcome to the show mr john fd taff john uh-huh. thank you for joining me
2: Thank you for having me, Corey. I appreciate it. It's going to be a fun talk.
0: It is. It is. And I got to say, it was very cool. You know, Twitter is a great thing, man. And that's how uh-huh. we hooked up. You know, I, I was, uh, we were just kind of following each other there. And you're like, hey, man, All I right. got this book. If you want to check it out, maybe talk about it on the show. And I'm like, yeah. So I, I picked it up and, you know, you never, there's a lot of books being written out there by a lot of people. <laughs> oh, yes. And, Absolutely. And you never know. And I'll always, i I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. I'll at least try it. And especially when you uh, come to me and you're, you're cool and, you know. So right. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm bracing myself a little bit here, you know. <laughs> and, dude, as soon as I began reading Bolts, it had uh, me just hooked. And it did not disappoint. And from there on, man, it was like this book flew by for me. Um, oh, that's great. I, I just, uh, I loved it. So um, if you can just tell everybody a little bit about Little Deaths, kind of what it is, kind of where it came from, because it's a great collection sure. of
2: stories. Well, well, thank you again. I appreciate that. It's, you know, I've been doing this for about 20, 25 years now. And, uh, you know, it's taken me that long uh, to get to where I had a name enough that I could actually approach a publisher and talk about a collection. So, and by that time, you know, I had... 60, 70 stories that have been in print. So I have a pretty good backlog of, of stuff. Um, I, uh, you know, made some contact with uh, Roy Daly, who is the publisher of Books of the Dead Press up in Toronto. And we talked about this back and forth for a while. He really wanted a novel from me um, because his attitude was, and, and, and he's right, uh, single, story, single author short story collections don't usually sell as well as a novel, even if you're Stephen King or somebody like that. So he kind of, you know, went back and forth and we talked about it for a while. And finally he said, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and do this. Uh, So I had sent him a, a, I'd sent him a a collection of, I think about 20 or 21 stories that I had put together. And he looked at that and made some cuts and sent it out to an editor. And uh, in the meantime, I was still writing stuff. And actually the, the lead-off story, Bolts, which is uh, one of the stories that people have really called out as one of their favorites. Mm-hmm. That actually came to me after I had sent him the collection. After it, I already bundled it all up and sent to him, I actually had a, a dream. It came to me in a dream, which is unusual. <laughs> and it came to me pretty much full, full-fledged, full beginning, middle, and end, which is pretty rare. Wow. Um, and so, I, you know, basically I keep a, a pen and a paper on my nightstand and I jumped up and wrote some notes down and it took me, you know, about a week to write that story. And, uh, you know, I sent it to him and I said, here, I just finished this. I think it's a good story. I think that we might want to swap one of the other ones out for it. And, you know, so we did. And the rest is history. I, I, it's a story that I'm particularly proud of. I I really think it works well. I think it's kind of my homage to the uh, sort of the classic horror stories and movies um so i i you know I, I and and i've been pretty pleased with the reaction i've gotten from it i think it was a good it was a good bit of serendipity to to get the idea for the story to get it down in a in a in a good format and then to to send it off to roy to get it in and have it lead the collection which i think is was pretty wise
0: yeah yeah it was i i love that story but uh, the cool thing about this collection is the diversity, um, <laughs> because it's not just all you know. You're not a straight classic horror homage guy, right. and you got right. you know what 1920 stories in here about that.
2: Yeah, um, there's 19, 19 stories, and and you know it's funny because the book has been really well reviewed. I've I've had probably six or eight really nice, really uh, good reviews from people like Gabino uh, Iglesias with Horror Talk and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Collins, who's a, a fellow author and HWA member, Horror Writers Association member. Nice. So I've had some really good, really good reviews. And really, everybody has commented on the diversity of stories. And that was very much a conscious decision. I wanted to, you know, since I've been doing this for so long and I have such a, a array of stories, I really wanted to to not just come out with a, a collection that that. Sort of was a one-note collection. I really wanted to come out with a collection that says, you know, hey, I've been doing this for twenty years, and I've I've got a pretty good range uh, that I can write in. You know, I've got ghost stories, I've got monster stories, I got zombie stories, I got classic stories, I got you know. So I, I really set out to to show a range in this book. I thought that was very important, and you know, again, that has been met with with only. Uh, good notices in the reviews. So yeah, I'm I'm happy. I'm happy that you bring that up. That's
0: oh yeah, I see that as such a huge strength. Where you know you can just write all sorts of different things and be good in every one of them. You know, yeah, I I I like some stories better than others, but that by no means means that those stories are bad stories. And you know, well, uh, I appreciate that.
2: And I I don't I guess you I don't know if you read the afterword, but I really and I do believe yes, I love that. If you write short stories and and you put a bunch of them together, not every short story is going to appeal to every reader. I I think you'd be crazy to think that. Right. Um, uh, You know, my girlfriend, Debbie, who reads all of my stuff and really is not a horror fan at all, she likes some of them. Uh, Some of them I get the, uh, well, it was well written. (laughs) (laughs) So... You know, I know, I know that different stories are going to push different buttons with different people, and and I'm totally cool with that. You don't have to like every story in the collection. What I hope with this one is that there's enough range in the book that there are, you know, three, four stories in there that really hit you on some level. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, and I and I think, you know, again from everything that from the feedback I've heard from people, that's. It has been successful on that level.
0: Yeah, and uh, th- th- there were more than three or four of these for <laughs> me that I oh, really, shit. really liked. They were great. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, you just like you said, you have such a great. You could tell you were a fan. Like you, you you're a you're a classic horror fan. I can tell. Just yeah. that, you know, we were talking about bolts, and I can uh-huh. tell you're writing this thing, and you are. I mean, are you a collector by any chance? I mean, do you collect Yeah, uh, I yeah, memorabilia? I, used,
2: I I go back and forth. I was a big collector of, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the company, Sideshow Collectibles. Yeah. I was a big collector. Beautiful. Lots lots of money spent there. (laughs) I kind of buy and sell. I'm not as big right now as I was uh, a couple years ago. But, yeah, I'm definitely uh, in that milieu. And and so writing that story, writing that particular story, and putting – putting those words on paper, it was pretty comfortable. And in fact, Debbie, going back to my girlfriend, Debbie, again, when she first read Bull, she was like, this sounds like our relationship.
0: <laughs> I was wondering if that was, to some extent, autobiographical. Uh, a little, a little bit. You know, yeah.
2: all, all the stories have, you know, and I think any writer's going to tell you that all the stories have a little bit of the, the author in them. Yeah. You know, I was I was a pretty big horror fan from the time I was a kid. My, my dad was a cop here in St. Louis and he worked multiple jobs and weird hours. And my mother was very young and she had, uh, my brother, myself and me. And she was a big horror fan. She loved those old, you know, Boris Karloff, Lon Chaney, Bela Lugosi movies. But she also was really big into the the hammer horror films of the sixties with Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing. And she, you know, my dad wasn't around a lot at night, so she would keep us up at night. Uh, so that she had someone to watch these movies with. She didn't have to watch them alone. So (laughs) she kind of bred three little uh, horror lovers. And, and, you know, she used to take us... You know, reading was a big thing. It still is in my family. And she used to take us to the library once a week. And my brother and my sister and I would descend on the the section of the library that was all, you know, UFOs and paranormal and Loch Ness Monster and (laughs) clean them out every week. So... It started as a, you know, it started at a young age, and and I had been writing since I was young, just kind of little goofy tales that I would inject my friends into, and and uh, I think the writing kind of really started in earnest as my reading progressed. You know, I started off with comic books, and then went to science fiction, and went to fantasy, and then ended up with horror, and that's sort of when the, the writing took a serious turn. Um, cause I think that that's, uh, kind of the way that my mind plays out. So it was kind of a natural progression.
0: Yeah. And you can, you can tell just by reading how natural it is for you. And like you were saying, there's a little bit of you in every story yeah. and everything you write, you put a little piece of right. your life, your experiences, your personality, something, uh, into that. And that was very apparent. Like I felt like I was getting to know you, uh, you know, a, a very kind of, um, well-rounded, Uh, you know sort of uh knowledge about you as an author because of it it just seemed like uh to me these these were uh just very natural tales for you to write uh they're very easy to read very well crafted and uh i'm i'm sure and i know you you've said that uh a lot of these stories were a long time coming and uh, there are a lot of drafts a lot of years what which was a story um you said uh has been around for like 20 years or something. And it finally, you finally finished it up and included it in here. I can't remember which one that was.
2: The, uh, the oldest story in the collection is a story called the lacquered box, which is just a little riff on, you know, kids finding something and, you know, it turns out uh, to be not good for them. And I, I wrote it about it's a little over 20 years ago. It was one of the first short stories I wrote when I really got serious about it. And, uh, i you know I was really making an effort back then uh, to send stuff out and getting a lot of rejections and that kind of stuff so uh, the lacquer box really never sold i actually I think it had a it might have had another name originally I can't remember what it was, but so I just kind of put it away and then over the last three four years, I really started to get very very serious about submitting again and really getting out there and making my name and doing something with this and I hauled the lacquered box out, and we wrote it partially. And there was a uh, call for submissions for a uh, Halloween anthology called Jacko Spec. And I thought, you know, this is pretty much of a Halloween story. I'll kind of put a fine edge on it and send it off. And, and the, you know, they picked it up, which was great. So, uh, you know, it was really instructive to me because I keep a file of stories that I consider to be dead. You know, actually, I call it... Uh, <laughs> I think, what do I call it? Something like, no chance in hell that this is going to sell.
0: <laughs>
2: and I keep, you know, there's probably about 12, there's probably a dozen, 20 stories in there, mm-hmm. and, you know, what that taught me was, you know, never give up on a story. You might be able to go back at some point and, uh, you know, I, I would like to think I'm a better writer now than I am I was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so, you go to, you go back to the story, you may be able to figure out what it was that didn't quite click with it, and give it a polish and put it out there. So, you know, I save everything. I save every little scrap and tittle that I write and stories that I even think that I look back on now and go, Oh God, I don't, I can't even imagine sending that
1: out.
2: <laughs> you know, I keep, cause you never know. You just never know. Right.
0: Right. And that's funny because I'm, I'm I've been writing since I was a little kid too. I, I love to write. It's just fun. And I've been, yeah, published is. all of, uh, I think one time, but <laughs> um, it, it's funny that, you, you know, you talked about that, that no chance in hell file that you have that, you know, certain things go into. Um, but my no chance in hell file contains everything that I do. I'm just like, I write something. I'm like, wow, this is bad. Okay, let's start over again and, and do something else, you know, and, and then yeah. the next one is like, so, um, yeah, that, well, it's that's like, funny.
2: You know, I, I believe it's like any talent, whether it's music or writing or painting or whatever, the longer you do it, and the more you you know the longer you do it the more you put in more time you put in i think it's almost inevitable that you're going to get better at it even if it's just in little increments over the years but that's okay. why you know it's if you're a up and coming writer and you are sitting down and really putting putting words down and and cuz that you know that's the biggest battle i think is being able to sit down and actually put the words down because yes. you know the one thing you get often when you're you talk to people, you know, uh, what do you do? Well, I'm a writer. and Oh, really? Well, I've been thinking about writing this book. You know, everybody's got a book. Oh, yeah. Everyone wants to write something. But how many people actually sit down and do anything about it? So exactly. the bigger part of the battle is actually sitting down and putting the words to paper. And I think if you do that uh you 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 know you have some some discipline about it and you do it every day or once a week or whatever it is i think over time it's only natural you're going to get better i think the flip side of that though is you have to read too you really have to be yes. a, a voracious reader to see what other writers are doing and uh and doing well so oh yeah you know yeah. and i think you know writing is fun i think that you know i've gone through periods in my life where i didn't write a whole lot and I'm able to look back on that now and say, you know, I was not really as happy as I've been when I wasn't writing. So mm. writing to be happy. And, and I can't imagine, you know, even though I'm not Stephen King sitting here on a pile of money, like I thought I would be 20 years ago. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine not writing. It It's just, it's such a part of me that I can't imagine not doing it.
0: Mm. Yeah.
2: And I think that that, it's an important thing. I think if you really want to be a writer, you just need to sit down and do it. And it doesn't matter if you're making money, and it really doesn't matter on some level if you're selling it or getting it out there, although I think that is an important thing. But it's just the fact that you're sitting down to do it, and you're actually putting words to paper. And,
0: oh, yeah, you know. even if those words are terrible um, yeah, at the time. Exactly. Um, right. Because uh, every, every year, I at least attempt to participate in uh, National Novel Writing Month, which is in yeah. November at yeah. org, and it's a big thing. And um, that's what they really stress. You know, it's stressing just sitting down and getting your word count every day. And it right. doesn't matter if it's complete, just horrendous, a terrible right. cliché, doesn't make sense. Who cares? Just sit down yeah. and write You know, 1,667 words every day of the month and, and do it. Um, because like you said, that's the hardest thing to do. Um, cause there's right. so many distractions. Um, they address the inner editor. I mean, do you have, do you have problems with sort of editing yourself as you're getting a first draft down and kind of you know, second guessing
2: in my professional life? I, I was a writer too. I was a magazine person and magazine industry is not doing well right now. So I'm currently unemployed, oh. but I, I, uh, you know, I have a big, I have a great deal of experience in writing and editing. And so, you know, I, I'm pretty good at editing myself, but I also think that it's such an important thing to have a professional editor go through your stuff because they mm-hmm. can, you just, you need to have somebody go through your stuff that's got some distance from it, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, Roy did that with uh, Little Deaths. you know, he, he hired a, an editor um, who actually did a, a tremendous job with it, and, uh, you know, I didn't agree with every little thing that she had, but, there were a lot of times when she would mark something and I'd say, you know what? I never thought about that. That's a good point. Or, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, that probably isn't the right word or, you know, whatever. So I, I think that's an important part of it. Yeah. But I think I'm, I think I'm pretty decent at editing myself.
0: Yeah. And even, even when you're uh, writing a first draft, say you have an idea for a story and you just want to let the ideas flow – you know, right. and, and you just keep going and maybe you don't know where the story's going. Um, that's, a, I think, a crucial part in the writing process mm-hmm. where it's just really important that you just let words flow and that you don't try to nitpick. You don't try and, and uh, you know, go back and change something. Oh, no, that was a dumb idea. I'm going to go back and, right. and change that. But you just keep it flowing um, so that you don't have that that kind of, like I said, an inner editor kind of always right. nagging at you during the process well, I, you know it's a, one
2: of the hard things for me with short stories and i think short stories are harder to write than novels because you usually have there's a word limit you know and, yeah. and really the, the the word limit these days for most places is about five thousand words so i try to keep that in mind but i don't when i'm just spitting the words out on paper i don't try to to keep it to a word count i let it i'll let it spill over and then go back and edit it afterwards that's good um yeah. But yeah, you, I think there's a certain truth to to sitting down. You don't want to put too many blinders on, so you just want to get the words out on a paper, and get the ideas out. You can always go back and change it and edit it and trim the word count down and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's really vital to just sit down and let the ideas spill out.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we were talking at the end of your book. You know, you mentioned the afterword, um, which I really, really loved. Um, oh, thank there's you. There's a section of notes and. Uh, you just speak very candidly. And I just love hearing authors talking about their own stuff, um, hmm. you know, and, and you did it really, really well. Um, you. But you went through each story and you, you gave the the motivation behind it, how you got the idea mm-hmm. and where it came from. And when you mentioned, you know, Bolts was a dream, you know, that was that was something right. that you included in there. And um, I just I really appreciated that because then again, if there were stories in there that again were, you know, didn't appeal to me maybe as, as mm-hmm. much as other stories, I could go back and read what your thinking process or, or your inspiration behind right. these were. And I could be like, oh, well that's, that's cool. And it gave me sort of a deeper appreciation, um, for well, all I, of the stories in general. So I, thank you for that.
2: Oh, I appreciate that. And, and that's exactly why I did it. You know, I, I tried to think back onto the collections that I've read from other authors who I who I respect, you know, people like uh, Stephen King and Peter Straub and mm-hmm. people like that, and, and I really like those afterwards. I like to know where the stories kind of came from, where they gestated from, and so I, I thought that, you know, not that I'm Peter King, Peter uh, Straub, or Stephen King, but I thought people might like to know where they came from, and, you know, since some of the stories are really personal, like here, Mm-hmm. Uh, is probably the most personal story in the in the collection and it's one that you know we kind of wrestled with putting in um because it was you know it's sort of a borderline horror story it's kind of a ghost story more than anything else and uh but it was a very personal because that that happened that's that's what happened to a dog that I had and it was it really shook me up wow. and, and uh so it was a personal it was a very personal story very hard to write um took me a long time to to get it down but I'm immensely proud of the story probably of all the stories in the collection that's the one that's probably the most personal for me and probably the one that I'm the most proud of because it was such a difficult part of my life but you know writing that story was so cathartic and then allowed me to get out the you know the emotion Uh, and you know I thought because that story was so raw and so personal, I think people would like to know that hey, you know this actually did happen this was you know really did happen to me so yeah um but yeah I, I get that and, and I like that I like I said, I like reading that in other collections so. The hope was that other people would like to, to see where my stuff came from. So I'm glad that you picked up on that.
0: Yeah. And it, it, it's scary putting yourself out there. I mean, just being an author in general, you're you're really just kind of spreading your soul out for the sure. whole world to see. Yeah. And you're opening yourself up to all kinds of criticism. And, you know, you're on the Internet. So people just feel like they can just lay oh, into yeah. you on the Internet. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really hard to get a story out there, let alone an entire collection, let alone an afterword that uh, is yeah. you being uh, very candid and very personal about your work. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's just, uh, I think, saying a lot for where you are right now as an author, your confidence mm-hmm. in your work. And uh, your appreciation for the readers, too, um, because yeah. I feel like you went the extra mile with that afterward. And uh, really, you didn't have to write that. You know, you could have no. just given us short stories and said, sure, there you go. And uh, but no, you you kind of
2: went
0: a little bit extra, which is uh, really cool. Um, well, so, and,
2: and, and, and I'm glad you said that, because it does, uh, you know, at least in my mind, it did speak to a certain uh, respect that I have for the reader for picking up the book. And yeah. You know trudging through it and reading the stories and and trudging is you, not the word well, for yeah. it. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that but uh you know you certainly you, cert, you, you want to give them a little a little bit extra and let them know where things came from and and i and i i you know i would like to do that i i you know certainly would have the desire to have another collection out in the next couple of years and i certainly have enough stories to select from and that's not even counting stuff that you know i'm working on now and hasn't even been published so you know that's something i would look to do again uh explain where these things come from and i just i think that's cool i've always liked that with with other authors so yeah it gives you a little insight into the person
0: yeah and you're good at talking about yourself because you don't mm-hmm. come off as you're trying to sell yourself you're trying to you know uh be self-promoting uh right you know anything like that i mean you just come you come off as very honest and and just uh just very cool and i i really like well, it I-
2: um, I appreciate that. I, You know, after doing this for so long, you either, I think really you're either so beaten down by the rejection after rejection after rejection or you develop a pretty thick skin and you mm-hmm. you grow pretty confident of your own. You know, I, I'm not the best writer in the world. I don't entertain any thoughts about that, but I think I'm pretty damn good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, I agree. I agree. You are. And, uh, you know, for, <laughs> well, <thank> you. for, <laughs> I'm, if,
2: glad, I'm glad you didn't leave me hanging out.
0: <laughs> no, no, I knew you were setting me up there, dude. So I'm, you know, I'm going to deliver, but no, no, I'm, I'm saying that, uh, in all honesty, um, because you can pick this up for uh, 299 dollars 99 on the Kindle right now, which is a steal yeah. for what you're going to get out of it. Um, and uh, it's also available on paperback. You go to Amazon right. and you can get all this, but I, I, I checked out the Amazon page for this. And uh, it, it lists uh, paperback, Kindle, and then there's some unknown yeah. binding yeah. listing for this for $117. Uh, Debbie I, I,
2: and I were, were, we've seen that, f- that's been up there for the last couple of months. And we were like, <laughs> what binding are they talking about? And Wow. $117, uh, really? That's just insane. I have no idea what that's about.
0: This is a binding that nobody yeah. can fathom, you know. it's, it's
2: <laughs> bo- Bound in human skin. Yeah. So. If somebody so, <laughs> buys it, please send me an email and let me know what they got because I'm very interested. <laughs>
0: uh, oh yeah, but uh, no. I, I, regardless of um, you know the the Kindle price, paperback price, I mean it's definitely a collection worth uh, picking up. Um, and actually, this is this is really cool that I saw this after the afterward was a mm-hmm. preview of Tonya Brown's badass zombie road trip. Yeah. Um, how did that come about because actually Tonya was on my show here um, not long ago at all and I was just she's, on Tonya's show.
2: She's um, a pistol and she I'm gonna be on her show actually she's got two shows I'm gonna be on one of her shows next week and another one on the 16th I think she yeah. she does two podcasts so. yeah yeah she um, yeah Roy uh, Books of the Dead I think is doing some great stuff for a small indie horror publisher. I think Roy has a good eye for talent. Um, He puts out great books. And I'm just talking about just from the physical sense of a book. I mean, a lot of the problems that I've noticed as an author with these, a lot of small press places is they might have a good eye for talent, but when they put the book out, it's just awful. I mean, the typesetting is awful. The design's awful. The cover is awful. And one of the reasons that I was attracted to Books of the Dead is because I looked at what they put out and they looked great. They looked professional. They looked, you know, it looked like a, I, I don't mean this the way it sounds, but it looked like a real book publishing company. I mm-hmm. mean, somebody, uh, before I got to know Roy, I, I I knew that somebody was in charge of that company who really put some effort into into the books themselves, into making sure that they were laid out well and edited well. And, and the covers were not just a lot of this, you know, a lot of these small publishers use too much of the CGI stuff for my taste. Yeah. Yeah. And when Roy, you know, one of the things that uh, both Debbie and I kind of were sitting on pins and needles about was when we're waiting for Roy to show us the cover and the cover for the book, I think it's fantastic. It's he, awesome.
0: He yeah.
2: Hired a, guy from Uruguay I guess is where he is Diego Candia and uh he does a lot of uh uh work for video games um he does a lot of concept art that kind of stuff and and I think the cover when people go to Amazon to look at the book the cover is incredible it's a great cover and it's for those of you since this is not visual right now it's a it's a little girl clutching a teddy bear uh standing at a cemetery and it's kind of a very kind of a creepy, but the girl looks very innocent. Well, When you turn the cover over, he did the same picture with a creepy looking. The girl is now very creepy looking. So it's that one, two punch that I think is really cool. Awesome. I was um, going to
0: comment on that because I love that cover so much. Yeah. It was and, obviously and be- very
2: well thought out. And, yeah. And yeah. believe me, I think that a, a good cover opens a lot of doors before people actually open it up to look at what's inside. So, Mm -hmm. and Roy does a good job at that. And, uh, so he, uh, he had picked up Tanya. I don't know where those two met, but, uh, I think she had submitted the book under a different title and he brought it in and, and, uh, you know, work with her to make some changes and they changed the title up to make it a little bit more edgy. And, you know, it's a funny book. I, you know, one of the things (laughs) I, Yeah. I like, and and there were a couple of I think there's at least one or two stories in my collection that are a little humorous. There's a little oh yeah humorous edge to the horror, and I think that that's a great combination. And in fact, as we segue later into an American Werewolf in London, you know one of my one of the things I really enjoy about that movie is the is the humor in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Landis really did a good job in balancing out the horror with some humor. It, which is very hard to do because you add too much horror the the it's not that funny anymore, but if you make it too funny, it's not that scary right, so right. I think Tanya did a good job of balancing those two out. It still kind of balls to the wall, but it's it's got a really good humorous edge to it so yeah
0: yeah and I know uh, Tonya is is such uh, you're right she's a little pistol I mean she oh is, yeah. she is so full of personality yes. and uh you know just uh very into what she does and and again it, it's kind of like you but it's it, it's very natural what she does and and the stories yeah. that she tells it, it's just it's her you know it's yeah. it's her
2: on the page and it's it's funny um I just sold a story a couple about a month or two ago to Horror Library 5 which is a big a big anthology they're obviously on their fifth edition so it was a nice sale because it's a well respected anthology and I've been trying to get into it for a while that's awesome uh, and I just saw the the table of contents and Tanya's in it too so that's kind of cool beautiful beautiful yeah so uh, so yeah so yeah I, you know Books of the Dead uh, has you know I think they put out six books this year eight books this year something like that and he does a good wide range he did Little Deaths uh, which is a single-author anthology. He's done a couple of um, anthologies. He did Best New Werewolf Tales, which is a nice multi-author collection of werewolf tales. Um, he did a really off-the-wall anthology called Zombie Kong, which is a uh, an idea that he had to do a zombified version of King Kong. Wow. And, and then had a bunch of authors submit stories for it. It's pretty wild. Man. I love it. And he he did an actual uh, novella too that went along with it. He published it under a separate cover, but uh, so he's got that. Uh, you know, he's reprinted a book by Tim Levin, uh, Berserk. Uh, so you know, he's got a lot of stuff going on. And, and like I said, he he does a good job with it. And mm. people really should uh, look into Books of the Dead. It's it's www.booksofthedeadpress.com. Absolutely. He's up in he's up in Toronto, and I think it's well worth. Uh, look to see the titles and because I think there's something there that that any horror reader is going to like oh yeah in addition in addition to my book of course
0: oh yeah yeah (laughs) of course you know just looking at your book and I know as I was paging through it right before uh, we did this interview and there was um, you have a link to that in the uh, in the in the forward I don't want to call it the forward but the beginning you know kind of title pages and I'm like oh I got to check them out and I did go to the website and there's some really really cool stuff to be had there um, yeah. So, he, he,
2: uh, of, you know, I'm, I'm obviously biased because he is my publisher, but he he has a good eye. He's got some good authors. He's put out some good books. I, I really think he's doing a good job. And, and again, it was really one of the reasons that I, uh, you know, kind of contacted him because I really respected what he was doing. And mm-hmm. uh, there are so many small publishers out there these days. And, and unfortunately, yeah. some of them just really aren't doing a good job. I hate to say that, but yeah. You got to really gotta get out there and support the people that are really putting their heart and soul into it. And I think that that's what Roy's doing with Books of the Dead. So I right. was very happy and very proud that he picked up the book. Right,
0: right. And you should be proud of uh, of what you've done and where you are right now because it's an amazing thing. And uh, well, I think- know Little Deaths has has been a success for you. Um, you know, it's it's very good. And you're working on, on some things mm-hmm. right now kind of uh, in yeah, its wake.
2: Yeah. Uh, I- I well, you know, I'm always working on short stories because I I kind of almost cleaned my stable of short stories out with uh, Little Death. So I've got some stuff that I'm working on to build my stable back up. I've got some stuff, you know. I always want to keep short stories out in the market, so I'm always submitting, and so I need to have a, a certain level of of comfort there with yeah. the number of short stories I've got. So I'm working on that, but I'm also uh, very early on in my career. I wrote a novel about the bell witch which is one of the biggest poltergeist cases uh that occurred here in the united states in the early 1800s and uh i wrote a novel about it about 20 years ago and it you know i thought what do i want to do here i was working on a science fiction novel um and with the success that little deaths has had you know i kind of sat down with with debbie my girlfriend and said you know Okay, I'm working on the science fiction novel. I'm really into it, but is is a science fiction book really the way to follow up Little Deaths? And you know, we basically thought, nah, it's probably not a good idea. You're probably need to go back to horror. So I got some ideas. They weren't really panning out. So I thought I need to think about this a little bit more. Maybe what I'll do is haul out that Bell Witch novel because it's kind of close to my heart. Cool. And uh, go back through it. So I've just. I've gone through it for the first time completely and really rewritten it substantially. Um, And then Debbie's just finished reading it, so I'm going to take some of her uh, criticisms and uh, notes that she had, and I'm going to go through it again. And, you know, it's it's definitely in the horror frame, but it's more of a ghost story, and it's a period piece, so it's a little different. Um, So we'll see how, you know, I don't know... I don't know who I'm going to approach with it right now, uh, mm-hmm. but we'll see. So I've got that going on. Uh, but I've also got a couple of ideas that I'm kind of, uh, you know, sitting on for for horror novels right now that I want to start from scratch. So, you know, I've got a lot of stuff going on. I'm I'm pretty happy with the way things are going. My the book has made the the uh, 2012 uh, Stoker Reading List for the Horror Writers Association, which I'm really proud of, and that's beautiful. You know, that's kind of uh, on the road toward uh, getting on the ballot for that award, which is pretty cool. So yeah. I've got some hopes in that regard. That would be kind of cool. Uh, but, yeah, I think things are moving. Like I said, I've got great reviews for the book. And, you know, I appreciate uh, people like you bringing me on and letting me talk about it and, and thrilled that you love the book. I mean, that's that's really that really jazzes me, so – yeah, yeah. So it's absolutely. pretty cool. I think I think things are pretty going going pretty well, actually. Yeah, I'm <laughs>
0: glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. And thank uh, you, man. I'm really excited to uh, hear about whatever uh, you have coming up, man, because I'm there. I'm t- I'm totally there. <laughs> and uh, so you know, I hope we can. Uh, Keep in contact that we can uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Because I'd love once I can read something else again. I'd love to have you back on, man, and 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 talk about it. it, So
2: well, I you know I definitely want to do another collection because I love the short story form, and and I've already got a title picked out for my next collection. If the if whoever publishes it lets me have it, I want to call it "Dark at the End of the Tunnel." I love it. So I'm looking forward to that.
0: Of course, we talked about you being very diverse and everything, but if there was one. I guess a genre or a sub genre even mm-hmm. um, that you just really love to write about. And you could just write about it all day and come up with different stories about it all day. Is there one you could pick out like a, like dealing like, <laughs> like a werewolf zombie sci-fi invasion kind of thing. I mean, what,
2: you know, one of the things that I think that I hear pretty much over and over and I've sort of lifted it because so many people have told me this is that a lot of my work tends to have a twilight zone kind of vibe to it. Mm, yeah. So I, you know, I'm, some of my stories can be a little gory, but I'm not really I, – I, I'm not really what you would call a splatterpunk author. No. I, ha- I haven't written that many zombie stories, although I will tell you that the one zombie story that I did write, and uh, I think Roy's going to – I'm hoping that Roy's going to put it in one of his uh, Best New Zombie Tales collections. It actually made my mother throw up. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, so that's when I kind of knew I'd arrived as a horror author. I've made my mother on that <laughs> Oh, my gosh. So, and I didn't even think it was that bad. I mean, I, you oh, know, no. as far as zombie stories go. But, you know, um, I don't know. You know, the, the vampire thing, the zombie thing, and to some extent, even the werewolf thing now has it's been overplayed. Hmm. Um, I like stories that have a little, you know, they're a little bit more subtle. Um and you really have to read them carefully to figure out what's going on. And I know that that's a chancy thing. I've got a couple of those stories uh, in Little Deaths where yeah. Yeah. it's very subtle. And actually the last story in the collection, which is called Box Rocked, um, was sort of my – that was sort of my uh, homage to that kind of story because it's one of those stories that you really have to read carefully to figure out what's going on. And as I said in the afterword – I think as an author, when you write that kind of a story, you take a big chance because you really want people to understand. You, I mean, obviously, you want them to understand the story. You don't want yeah. them to get to the end of the story and go, I, I didn't get that. Right. <laughs> right. I, I don't know what's going on there. I didn't get that. So I guess probably if I, if there was sort of a, a subgenre, it would be the more subtle uh, building kind of creepiness in a story that that you really have to read closely to figure out what's going on. But there's a definite, you know, mounting level of dread and creepiness until you get to the end. Um and I, and that's that's sort of a Twilight Zone ish kind of thing, I think. Is, is,
0: I'm getting I'm getting Twilight Zone. I'm getting a little little taste of Lovecraft in there too.
2: Yeah, know? I there's a couple of stories that are I would think Lovecraft influence the water bearer is mm-hmm. certainly one of those. Um uh, yeah, there's a couple of them. In fact, I've got a really good uh, Lovecraft kind of pastiche story in a book called uh, The Call of Lovecraft that was put out a couple months ago by Evil Jester Press. I have a story in there called The Tentacle, which I, I'm i particularly pleased with because, again, it has a little humor to it. Uh, and I like Lovecraft, but I think that Lovecraft has a tendency to come off as a little too serious oh yeah <laughs> sometimes you know oh. what i mean it's so serious and so ponderous sometimes yeah so i i did a little story you know it's admittedly a, a lovecraft pastiche but i was able to put a, at least a layer of of humor onto it and i think it you know i think it worked pretty well so i'm pretty pleased with that um that came out i think in april or may but from evil chester press so but yeah i i like some of that i i you know like we said at the beginning i guess bring this full circle i mean i really have a wide range of of uh interests in the subgenres i you know i, you know, I like me a little splatterpunk i like ghost stories i like you know the science fictiony kind of story i like the lovecraft kind of story um in terms of horror you know my two biggies uh, and this is going to sound trite you know stephen king because yeah no matter what you say the guy writes a damn good book and he writes dialogue like no one. I mean, I don't think anybody writes dialogue. No author, period, writes dialogue as well as Stephen King does. Oh yeah. And my, but my favorite author really is Peter Straub, and and he's right up my alley because he's more that subtle building dread uh, that I enjoy. So. That's um, interesting.
0: I, um, I, I love Stephen King. I grew up reading mm-hmm. him, and I mean, just uh, perfect. I mean, it, you're talking about the dialogue, and it's something that I always remember about his stories, you know, other than the, mm-hmm. the, the utter horror of it. But it's about how he can, uh, you know, even down to the accents, where he writes phonetically <laughs> right. a lot of time, you know, in, in accents. And so mm-hmm. you literally have to read some of these passages out loud to and, really and, understand and-, and get them fully
2: exactly and the thing is when you start writing any writer will tell you dialogue is the hardest thing to get down mm, i mean yeah. it's the easiest thing to mess up to, to 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 write something that sounds as if an actual person actually said that is very difficult i think yeah and king does it effortlessly yeah um so you know he's had a few misses i haven't liked every book that he's he's put out but yeah. you know well, they Jeez can't all be nice, home, but runs. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but I do like, I like Straub quite a bit. I like some of the uh, early Anne Rice stuff. I like Clive Barker. You know, it's, it, I have a pretty good range.
0: Yeah, that, that's cool. And in fact, the only Straub I've read is The Talisman, of course, in conjunction with Stephen King.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, well, I, that was decades I make, ago I read that. I'll make a recommendation for you. Uh, one of my favorite books, if not my favorite book, is a book called The Throat by Peter Straub. And it's kind of a serial killer thing, but it is the most densely layered, intricately plotted book I've ever read, and it's it just holds up. I read it probably once a year. I think it's wow. stupendous. Yeah, oh, stupendous. Man. I'll so, check it uh, out. Wow. that's my recommendation. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, thank you. Thank you. No, nah, no problem.
0: That's really cool. And, it, and it's so funny. It's like um, I've interviewed a lot of authors on the show and talked to a lot of authors and everything, and... Everybody, you know, pretty much like 99% of uh, all the horror authors that I talk right. to go back to Stephen King. Yeah. And you would think like he's a cliche, like maybe some of the cooler authors would try to pick somebody more obscure, but everybody right. gravitates. Towards Stephen King and um it's it's great that you bring him up uh, he's my favorite author I think pretty much of all time I mean he hasn't mm-hmm. influenced me or he has influenced me more than probably anybody else out there yeah um well I
2: think you know you could certainly be the the you know the hip happen an author and you know uh trash king oh yeah it's tra- Stephen King it's so old-fashioned he's written but you know the fact of the matter is you know he's written I don't know 40 50 books something like that I didn't and some of them yeah they're they're not very you know i don't i'm not going to go out on a limb and say they're not very good some of them i don't like but you know some of them are masterpieces not just of horror literature but i think of literature and that disturbs some of the literary types but he's a damn good writer yeah Uh, and and to ignore him or just to pretend that he's not as good as he is I I think that's just ridiculous. Right. I mean, obviously the man doesn't need my support, so.
0: (laughs) He's doing pretty good, so. Yeah, yeah. he's doing pretty good (laughs) on his own. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, earlier an -hmm. American werewolf in London, Mm -hmm. uh, which... uh, Man, a, a great film, and as we were going back and forth, you know, the, before the interview, I'm like, dude, let's let's talk about a movie just to kind of wrap up the interview and have a good time, sure. sort, of, sort of going back and forth about a film, and this is one of the ones you sent over, and uh-huh. uh, I had to jump on this, man. Um, so let's talk about An American Werewolf. I mean, uh, why did you yeah. pick this one, first of all? This is on your list of one of the yeah. ones that you'd like to talk about, so why?
2: I wow. am not... Okay, well, let's, let's be honest here. I'll, I'll tell you the, the absolute fundamental truth of my life as a horror writer. I have the weakest stomach ever. Wow. I have one of the movies. I've walked out of two movies in my life, and not because they were awful, but because of the blood and gore. And one of them was The Reanimator. Remember that one? I love that movie. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it, it got to a point where I had gone with a friend of mine, and it got to a point in the movie, I think, maybe halfway through. I think it was when they were in – I have a fuzzy recollection of the movie, but I think it was when they were in the mortuary and they were having the fight with the bone saw. Oh, yeah. And I just thought to myself at the time, I'm going to faint. I'm going to pass out in the theater. (laughs) Wow. And so I got up left. And the other one, and you're going to laugh about this, is Interview with a Vampire. Oh. And I walked out of that that movie within five minutes of the start. Was it because
0: of Tom Cruise? I mean – Well, it it should have
2: been. I'm not a big fan. But when he bit Brad Pitt's wrist at the beginning of the movie, yeah, and there was that sound, which I'm sure was just probably somebody crunching celery or something, right? Uh, but I, you know, my stomach just flopped, and uh, I had to I had to flee because I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna wake up on the sticky floor of the theater here, and <laughs> it won't be pretty. So I really have a weak stomach. I, I'm not a fan of slasher movies. I do not like gallons of blood. I, you know, when I want to be scared, I want to be scared. I don't want to be grossed out necessarily. Mm. Although that plays a role, but if it, you know, I'm not a big fan of like the Jason movies or Halloween movie, the original Halloween movie, maybe, but, um, you know, people getting impaled and having their heads cut off that, that doesn't really do it for me. But this movie I remember because I was probably 16, 17 when this came out, um, And I remember going to see it with a bunch of my friends. And and I grew up in a very rural area. Mm -hmm. Um, And we went to go see, I think it was a midnight show or something. So at the end, you know, when we were leaving the theater, it was late at night. And we were going back home and we were all riding in the same car. And we've got to drop people off in different places. And, you know, we all live out in the country where it's, you know, tremendously dark and scary. and I just remember being everyone in the car and it was all 16, 17 year old guys being totally freaked out, <laughs> nice. just totally freaked out. Nice. Um, so I have that memory of it, but I, you know, what I also liked about the movie and we talked about this a little earlier is it's got a great layer of humor in it, which hmm. I think is great. And it works, uh, I think it works um, almost counterintuitively to, to strengthen the horror part of it. Yeah. And again, like I said, it's it's a hard – that's a hard mix to do because if you add too much horror, it's not that funny. If you add too much humor, it's not that scary. But I think Landis did a good job of keeping the humor in the film, especially with the character of, of Jack. Um, I just – that's one of the things that I really, really appreciate about the movie. Plus that scene on the morse is just –
0: terrifying oh, man yeah yeah <laughs> well it's funny you know I'm, I'm uh you know brushing up on this film and i watched it it's on uh, uh-huh. netflix right now yeah yeah And so you can really stream it. it it's fantastic so i watched it twice mm-hmm. uh in preparation for us talking about it and then i'm doing research and i just kind of like googled it and it came up on wikipedia right. so i'm like oh i'll read up on what wikipedia has to say about it well in like the first two lines in the <laughs> wikipedia thing it calls it a horror a comedy horror there you go. film there you go. i mean i first of all i have never considered this um a comedy film um <laughs> i've always considered no. it a horror film yeah it has I some agree. very funny parts right. that you can laugh at but i don't consider it a, a, a comedy film so would you consider it comedy slash horror or a horror film that has comedy in it
2: yeah I don't I, I don't look at the film because I think it's it's got some genuinely scary parts to it. Again, yes. we go, go back to that that scene on the moors where the initial you know David is initially attacked. Um, no I think it's a horror movie that's got some comedy in it. But yeah. I, I wouldn't consider you know comedy horror. Then you're kind of talking about Ghostbusters.
0: Or oh yeah. <laughs> something yeah. like that. You're but talking slapstick. Yeah.
2: Yeah. This film is legitimately scary.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
2: and it does so without a huge amount. I mean, there's some blood in it and everything, but it does it without a huge amount of, of gore, which I appreciate. You know, I you, you know, 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 being a weak stomach, <laughs> I, I appreciate wow. you know being scared without necessarily being grossed out. Well, I
0: I would love to hear your reaction. Then, I mean, we have this great scene in it, and this movie, is, you know, is so critically acclaimed for its effects. Yes, the awesome practical effects that you you just don't see. Nowadays, Um, they had to rely on all in front of the camera, doing effects, trying to figure out things to do in front of the lens to sell this transformation. Um, So when we see the grand transformation in this film, Mm -hmm. when David is finally experiencing and his his joints are popping, his bones are cracking, um, you know, he's growing hair, his his nails are growing and you, you see it. I mean, what was your reaction the first time that you saw this? Well, I think that's the
2: first time, you know, that's really the first time I saw a horror movie, a a, a werewolf movie that wasn't a Lon Chaney werewolf movie. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when when they showed, you know, Lon Chaney turning into a werewolf back then, uh, you know, partially because of the way things were back then, but also partially because of the way special effects were. You know, it was basically just showing a close up of his face or of his hand sprouting hair and that kind of stuff. Right. So it wasn't really that horrifying, but this is the first uh werewolf movie that I can remember showing a transformation where you see it it's not pleasant. It's painful. It hurts. It's you know, bones are stretching and you know, skin is stretching and you know, this is not a it wasn't that's what I thought most of all was wow, this is the horrible <laughs> yeah you know really horrible for the guy it's not just horrible that he's gonna eventually become a wolf and go trotting out and killing people but it's not a not a pleasant transformation
0: right right and, and just seeing this and i think the audio is very crucial to this because yes. you know you were talking about the screams and the little pops and mm-hmm. cracks and and the stretching that you hear did it, it, that didn't turn your stomach i mean i'm, I'm actually kind of surprised that this didn't you know no for you, you know is what it really ag- you know I think really you
2: have. with me it's blood oh okay yeah it's yeah, it's really blood more than anything else, and you know I can take my own you know if I cut myself it's like no big deal. Like, eh, you know what it's blood whatever, but other people seeing blood and other people just really and I think particularly since I've had you know I' have kids and oh and uh, well. they were little you know they're always getting banged up and yeah. oh yeah, I was never the one that you want you, you didn't want to come to me. <laughs> Hopefully mom was home because you didn't want to come to dad because dad would be like, Whoa. <laughs> but yeah, but it, I, I remember being uh, impressed with it. I mean, it made an impact on me on that, that change sequence, yeah. but it didn't really gross me out that much, but it, it really did. It was sort of like, yeah, well, I, you know, previously all I saw was Lon Chaney getting hairy.
0: Yeah, and um, it was a lot of dissolves, and you know, right, a lot of just exactly. close-ups and things. You know, and this, I mean, it, it just brought it straight. I mean, it put it in your face. Oh yeah. Um, and I have a great story about this because I have a uh-huh. nephew who is 13 years old, and right. uh, he's a horror fan. And mm-hmm. but he has been brought up on modern horror. So of course, being 13, mm-hmm. born in 1999, so he was, uh, <laughs> you know, he's. Got a lot of CG in his blood, I, you know, a lot of uh, you know effects that are digital, that are um, just very computer enhanced, and and nothing of uh, anything like this. So uh, he was up visiting, and uh, I I turned the TV on and I got on Netflix and uh, right. we were just browsing around, and I, I turned to him. I'm like, have you ever seen uh, the transformation scene in uh, American Werewolf from London? And at first, he thought I was talking about an American werewolf from Paris. Yeah, uh, you know, not right... Thing. No, no, it's a CG right, fest. Yeah. You know, it's it's whatever. But uh, he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, let me let me cue this up. So I get on Netflix, and I cue up that scene of uh, the <laughs> transformation. I just watch the expression on his face, and it was priceless. <laughs> he is wide-eyed. He is just... His mouth falls open. He is soaking this in. And it gets done... And he turns to me and he's like, why don't they do this anymore? He's like, this, this Mm. looks so great. Oh, man. He's like, I was kind of scared there for a second. I mean, this is really, (laughs) really good. Why don't they do that? And that meant so much to me. You know, being kind of the jaded, kind of cynical, sure, old-school sure. horror kind of guy that is saying, you know, oh, practical effects you know, are so much better than CG because look at these movies. <laughs> but being that it comes from, you know, this 13-year-old kid that's been brought up right. on th- that kind of horror, I mean, that says something for that.
2: Well, uh, you, you look at it, you know, the, the only two movies that I can think of recently that had werewolves in them is Twilight, which is... Ugh, oh, wow. Well, yeah. But uh, the the transformation scenes with the werewolves in twilight are very similar to the transformation scenes of the werewolves in the underworld movies, right, which is they right. just grow taller. It, it takes them like two seconds. They're, right. And they're a werewolf. Yeah. And there's no pain involved. There's no, it's just, you know, like that. And they're a werewolf. This is really still, I think uh, the only film that I can think of where, you know, you really get to see that again, this is a very painful transformation. It's not pleasant at all. Mm-hmm so it it really did make an impact. I think that's cool that even on a younger person because what this film is 30 years old something like that.
0: Oh yeah, it's more than 1981 yeah. is when yeah, this came out. Yeah,
2: 1981. I mean, Good Grief.
0: Yeah, amazing. And it, it's just a year after this was The Thing. I yeah. mean, which was another uh, you know, effects masterpiece. Right, right. Um and again, they don't make them like this. You know, people don't want to get dirty. They don't want to spend the money to hire right. good artists and, you know, effects people. It is just notably so much better.
2: I think uh, so. Yeah, Yeah, me even, too. It just I don't know that it looks more real, but it you can tell that whatever it is is actually taking place is not just being, you know, recreated on a computer screen. I think I think I don't know. Maybe it's just my age speaking, you know. I'm,
0: well, that's you know, a good point. No, so I I I don't know, man. It's like that you know that what you are seeing actually happened. Mm -hmm. In front of the lens. And it wasn't something that somebody composited 10 times. You know, I've seen way too many blood splatters, way too many gore scenes and transformations and and morphs and what have you. I mean, anything that I'm just like, "Eh, you know, they had a good guy that could work in After Effects or Maya or whatever. It doesn't
2: uh, doesn't hit you as hard, I don't think.
0: uh, No, no. But just knowing that uh, they got dirty. I mean, this actor oh, yeah. <laughs> was coated in blood by the end right. of this scene, you know. And uh, just knowing that, that they pulled this off and convinced yeah. me. Um, and I'm going to bring up something. And and again, I warned you we're going to go off on tangents and and everything. <laughs> hey, but that's uh, okay. You know, something that really got to me when I was a child and, and kind of happened at this point in time and actually involved mm-hmm. John Landis and Rick Baker, who was the, the uh, effects guy, um, right. was Thriller.
2: Thriller, um, sure
0: that had a very very great a uh, werewolf transformation scene yep. um sold some great effects had great zombies in it and I'm a I'm a zombie guy to the core mm-hmm. um, Sure. so I love I, I love that but that was another one um I I didn't have MTV when I was a kid you know that was something right. that uh, you know I was I was living out in the rural areas and so right. I I just had a a, a satellite or a, not a satellite but an antenna and right. um so we had a lifetime membership at the VHS store which was like you know they're <laughs> pretty expensive back then uh, and uh my mom rented thriller for me the making mm-hmm. of thriller and uh i got to see the behind the scenes not only the video which creeped me out right. but uh, then again you know i got to see you know how You know, all these effects guys were standing behind Michael Jackson as he transformed and they were just operating these little pumps and, (laughs) you know, and making his skin look like it was morphing and then how they did all the the different effects. And uh, that really, really got to me when I was, you know, at a really young age, just finding out how all these effects were done.
2: It was really cool. You know, I'm pretty sure I read somewhere, but it wasn't it. Uh, American Werewolf in London that led Michael Jackson to choose John Landis yes. to direct
0: that. exactly. That's yeah. exactly so,
2: yeah, Yeah, and, and so that transformation that he goes through to become the werewolf and the thing is, you know, not ex, it's not exactly alike it was in American Werewolf, but it's very similar.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it makes me feel better for not, you know, diverging so much from what we were talking about in uh Oh, American absolutely.
2: Werewolf. And, you okay. know, you got to love Thriller anyway because it had Vincent Price in
0: it. Yes, and... By the way, Vincent Price got screwed in that whole deal.
2: I mean, did you hear about that? I mean, what he,
0: he struck a deal, and I'm sorry again, I'm uh-huh. going off on something no, completely like, no. unrelated. But uh, Vincent Price, uh, you know, arguably one of the best, you know, most iconic horror oh, yeah. guys of all time. Um, he was approached uh, by this studio or by John Lane. I don't know who approached uh-huh. him, but um, they said you can either have like one percent of our gross revenues. Mm-hmm. Or we can just pay you right now, like twenty thousand dollars. And guess which one he picked?
2: Yeah, he he chose the wrong one.
0: Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And uh, but he
2: was probably thinking, oh, "This isn't going anywhere. I'll take yeah. my twenty and call it a day." Right,
0: right. But uh, bad choice. He yeah. chose poorly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, in in the same position, what would you do? I mean, you know, it's it's sure you know, absolutely yeah he's he's older he's getting up there and so it's uh, you know it is what it is but anyhow <laughs> getting back to an american werewolf in london mm-hmm. oh man i i love um zombie jack i mean uh, you know he's yes. he, he is a zombie he's appearing to david you know kind of in these in these visions but mm-hmm. i love um that he is decaying over time you know he's getting right. worse and worse and worse um, so it just, uh, I don't know. The, the effects are just as good on him as are in the, uh, werewolf yeah, transformation. And, and I think
2: that that, you know, my favorite scenes in the movie, well, the, the, the more scene, which we've already talked about and the transformation right. scene, which we've already talked about, but you know, the other favorite scene of mine is really the comedy scene. It's where he meets with David in the movie theater and, you know, he's fallen apart and, the other victims that david has killed as a werewolf are also in the theater and right. i think that, that that was brilliant i thought i thought the interchange between the characters and and the jokes that that jack would make i thought that was that was really cool it was creepy it was scary but it was also funny which right. i you know that Kind of capsulized the movie for me, right?
0: Right. It, it never got cheesy, you know. It never got no, uh, you no. know, kind of a groaner kind of. Ah, mm-hmm. they, they put that in there just to get a cheap laugh, you know. Everything I, I think was very smart, um, and uh, they just wove a great movie together yeah. here.
2: Well, um, Landis is a pretty good director. You can't. He's okay. Yeah. He's yeah. He's alright. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's had a few hits. Yeah. Yeah. He, 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 he's all right.
0: Um, and we mentioned the uh, the 1997 sequel. An American mm-hmm. Werewolf in Paris. I mean, they, they. I guess from a monetary standpoint, the studio was dumb. Oh, uh, uh, what am I talking about? The, the studio, I think, was Disney at this point, but oh, was it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and yeah. so they. Anyhow, they were kind of dumb not to make a sequel. You know, just to mm-hmm. you know get some money out of the, the notoriety and the the kind of cult status right. that this has gathered over the years. But uh, it, it, what do you think? I, you know, we touched on this, but uh, overall, an American Werewolf in Paris—is it worth even seeing?
2: No, I, you know, I thought when I first heard about it, um, I thought, well, that's cool. You know, I really like that movie. I'd like to see it, so I did see it, and I can't—I can't remember the actor's name, but I kind of like the actor. He was in the uh, what was that name? Uh, what was the name of that movie that Tom Hanks directed about the band in the '60s? Um, the Wonders.
0: Oh oh wow, yeah,
2: yeah. And, but I can't remember the name of the actor, but I thought, you know he's pretty good. I liked him in that movie and and then the movie was just all kind of awful and and really the the one thing that stands out to me with that movie over and above anything is the awful c g i in it yeah. just it's just truly awful right, right. and there's a lot of it, yeah,
0: and it kind of but just... it
2: didn't it didn't have the it wasn't funny, really, it wasn't scary, really. Uh, they made a half-hearted attempt, I think, to tie it into the, the first movie. With I think the girl was supposed to be the daughter of the nurse in the first movie. That, that
0: yeah, somebody got yeah. pregnant. And right. It was it, it was yeah. just
2: too. It was just it was very disappointing. I thought I don't even think it's worth watching. It's, it's so awful. Nah, it, it ruins it the think, original. It, exactly. That's yeah. exactly right. You think yeah, well that doesn't really. <laughs> it makes me think ill of the original. Right. But uh yeah, not not worth it. You know, and really when you stop and think about it. There aren't a lot of really good werewolf movies.
0: No, that is like a, a crazy niche that uh, mm-hmm. I, I started thinking about lately, that uh, so many of these werewolf movies are not mainstream by any point. They have all kind of garnered cult status mm-hmm. or, you know, very underground you know, sort or of. Or they're just follow-ups. awful. I mean, the oh, last yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. when that Benicio del Toro movie, I was really excited about that because I thought, you know, here's a guy that really likes. He, you know, he come out in interviews and said he really loves the old horror movies, and, right? You know, he's going to get behind this, and of course, who looks more like the Wolfman than Benicio del Toro?
0: Exactly.
2: But the movie was all kinds of awful. Yeah. I mean, just awful, truly awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Anthony Hopkins and him and... Uh, Jack Nicholson, you know... Jack, you know and, uh, Jack Nicholson and, what was that, Wolf? The Wolf,
0: Wolf yeah, the, the Wolf, Wolf or yeah. something, yeah, uh-huh.
2: yeah. That wasn't that good either.
0: No, no. From never, what I
2: can recall, it's been such a long time since I saw that.
0: Yeah, I mean, there there are a lot of bad ones, and I think it's, a, it's, it's sort of a very uh, formulaic sort of thing to follow. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. they, they don't a lot of these werewolf films don't go from the norm. I mean, you you kind of have a, a standard canon that, uh, you adhere to. Um, right. and there just isn't a lot of, uh, a lot of really great creative things coming out of that. Um, no. you know, and other... my
2: fear, you know, and I said this kind of in the book, um, in my book, they're going to ruin it just like they did with the vampires.
1: Mm. <laughs> you know, I hope which,
2: not. I, you know, uh... I'm. I swear to God, the woman who wrote the Twilight uh, movies is carrying her money home in a bag every day. But I think it it is really undermined that classic vampire that horror has been able to go to. And I just think it's to its detriment. And I'm really fearful that, you know, she's kind of doing the same thing or they're going to start doing the same thing with the werewolves or because the werewolves in that movie are kind of, you know, watered down.
0: They're the same yeah. as the vampires. I yeah, mean, they're, exactly. you know...
2: They're, uh, oh, yeah. Too much teen angst, I think.
0: And I'm kind of ashamed that we can discuss, you know, that, <laughs> that we've seen these. But, you know, we both have, you yeah. know, significant others right, that exactly. uh, that we've kind of been there yeah, during. Close enough, anyway. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we kind of no. know. But, uh, you know, if there's a werewolf out there, I don't want them to, to be attractive and, you know... Yeah, no, all these yeah. ripped abs and you know be nah. be I, I don't you know what I mean. It, it's yeah exactly.
2: Ugh, I could. Go That's off. why I liked yeah. um you know not to go back and push my publisher stuff, but you know that book that that he put out this year called Best New Werewolf Tales Volume One. Um, he's got a really good mix of of stuff, and it's it's all new takes on on werewolf, but it's all you know very much sort of still in the classic mode. It's not that. Mm you know teen angsty sort of you know ripping shirt ripping six-pack kind of stuff so yeah. um my i have a story in the in that collection too called three dog night um which i particularly tickle with because i i managed to do the whole story without actually mentioning the word werewolf once in the entire story nice. so that, that was kind of cool nice <laughs> i may have tickled no one but myself with that but eh, whatever
0: that's really cool well yes. I, I think I, you know the overlying thing here is that it is not pleasant to be a werewolf. You know, it, it is nowhere normal to be a werewolf. And right. so if you are in that state, it, you're you're in a lot of agony. I mean, you're right. you're tortured, you're a tortured soul here, cursed with this well, I,
2: state. And that's what I think, you know, if I if I had to uh, I guess if I had to pick up uh, an argument against Books like Twilight and that kind of stuff. The more that that books make these kind of creatures—vampires or werewolves or whatever—the more they make them like real people. Hmm. The the more they take away what is intrinsically scary about them, I think. Right, and, and that that is that different. You know, that otherworldliness, that you know, the the sort of sadness and the loneliness and the horror of being one of these creatures. If you know, if you're just an angsty teen who happens to suck blood, you know, that's not that scary. <laughs> right, right. And, so uh, I yeah. don't know. And, and that's what, you know, I, I said this at the, in the afterword of Little Deaths that, you know, I think the, the last true vampire story, at least for me, was Salem's Lot. And that's oh, 30 man. odd years ago. And I lament that it's, you know, maybe another decade or two before we get a real honest to goodness new vampire story from anybody.
0: I still get chills whenever I think of Salem's Lot.
2: Oh, Salem's Lot is great. It's wow. one of his best books, I think.
0: <laughs> and it's a great movie. I mean, they, yeah, that's the one they did well.
2: Yeah, yeah, the original one I thought was pretty creepy. Oh, it's yeah. a little dated now, but it's still it's still pretty creepy. I, I don't you know, even it's care dated when you see David Soul.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I mean oh, oh, yeah. But they they just it, you know, it's it's the ebb and flow I think of of filmmaking and um mm-hmm. you know, it's Unfortunately, what we see in theaters, it is what is going to sell to the most people at the time. Yeah. Um, right. And that's why I, I so gravitate towards the indie sort of uh, realm. You know, I look at what a lot of uh, you know, sort of underappreciated, maybe you know, guys that uh, aren't getting it out there quite as much mm-hmm. you know, sort of, of films. Um, mm-hmm. Because they are more willing to take risks. Uh, they're, they're more willing to really put it out there. And, I agree. You know, agree. Hollywood is just uh, lowest common denominator. Let's uh, let's put out a Twilight. Let's put out something. You know, a right. thing. You know, let's put out the thing that is kind of almost the thing, but it's actually a prequel. Once you get to the end, right. and you know, it's Same. all CG. You know, then spoiler alert, whatever. But um, you know, did you did you see the thing? Uh, I didn't see
2: the prequel, uh, you know, the the one that they just put out because it got such bad reviews that I just. I'm sorry, John. I just totally spoiled that. that, uh, Maybe on Netflix or something, but yeah, well, you know, and the last the last couple horror movies I've seen, um, what was that one? I can't remember. I can't. I'm bad with the titles, but the last couple horror movies I've seen that weren't just outright, you know, slasher movies, they were fairly decent. And this is what gets me with horror movies. Up until the last five minutes, and then the last five minutes, they undermine the whole movie by doing something by having a ridiculous ending that just makes you go, "What? Really? Well, that just sucks."
0: Well, it's a formula. I mean, you gotta have yeah, a twist. Exactly. Now. You gotta have something in the end. You think, you know, you think you know what's right. going on the entire movie, and then, you know, I, I totally um, credit that to M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. <laughs> that yes. bastard. You know who?
2: <laughs> dude, he, he did one good movie. <sighs> Uh, what uh, what are you
0: referring to? Is that the uh, Sixth Sense? Sixth
2: Sense, and that was it. I mean, the Sixth Sense was I thought a great movie, but I, after that, it was sort of.
0: Dude, I, I can't it. even. I can't even give him the Sixth Sense because I had that movie <laughs> pegged, dude, from Did the halfway. You? Yeah, yeah, I it's knew exactly so
2: funny because the uh, my son, my middle son, was I don't know, he was maybe seven when that came out, six or seven when that came out, and uh, we were somewhere on vacation. And they had it playing on the hotel, uh, you know, in movie the in-room movie stuff. Right. So we watched it. And he was sleeping. We thought he was sleeping. And he woke up and he started watching it. And maybe, I don't know, half an hour into it, you know, and I swear to God this is true. Six, seven years old, he turns to us and says, that guy's dead. And we're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) That guy's dead. He's dead. He's a ghost. I'm like, no, no, he isn't. Why are you watching this? Go back to bed. And then you know, half an hour later, yeah, the kid's right. Oh my god, I can't believe you figured it out. Wow, wow. But yeah, the the rest of his movies are, I, I don't. Yeah, I mean, it, Unbreakable. My girlfriend sitting here going, Unbreakable's fantastic. Unbreakable is fantastic until the last minute of the movie. Exactly. Ruin the whole exactly. Thing. Exactly. They ruined the whole thing. Yeah. And yeah. then uh, you know, what was the other one? Uh, with the aliens. What was that called? Oh,
0: uh, Signs. Uh,
2: again. They, uh. Uh, a group of aliens whose biggest weakness is water, and they didn't see the Earth is covered with seventy percent water before they landed. Seriously,
0: Hello? these are the dumbest aliens I've ever seen in my life. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. So yeah, he's not a, he's not a, a good horror director. That I'm trying to think of the name of that movie that I saw. Well,
0: don't even, when, don't even mention him, the village. I mean, have you oh, seen the th-
2: village? Is awful. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, I was totally drawn into it until the big spoiler. You know, and uh, the, yeah. okay, everybody listening, you've probably seen the village, and you've probably heard me before going off on on, <laughs> on this guy. So I'm going to spoil it, and I don't care. But it all ends up they're just in this big bubble, and you know the the monsters aren't really real. Right. And and so I'm in I'm in the theater in the theater with my my fiance at the at that point. Uh huh. And I'm so into it, and I'm so into seeing some kind of monster, like what kind of thing. Right. And then when I learned about what is really behind this all? I was so pissed. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I didn't walk out, but I felt like walking out. Yeah, but well, you know
2: that at
0: that people point people I'm like I'm like, M Night, man, screw you, man. <laughs> Seriously. It's uh Yeah,
2: I've I've stopped I I don't go to his movies anymore because I'm like mm.
0: Well what was that one in the uh the elevator that he had um,
2: the, it was called Devil, and that was another bad one. I did see that.
0: That Actually, I didn't mind that. Really? Which was, you know, it. it of course, I didn't love it, and right. I didn't hate it, but I didn't mind it. Um, I thought some of the in-elevator kind of uh, goings-on were, were pretty right. good. But um, anything outside of that it was kind of cheesy, you know, and they had some sort of <laughs> religious philosophical things going on, whatever, right. I don't care. right. You know, but, um, you know, I, 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 the suspense of it, you know, who is, who is the killer here? Who is the real, I was going to
2: say for me at, at, you know, 15, 20 minutes and it just became, uh, you know, who's the, who's the devil here? Who's the, you know, of these four or five people, which one is it? Well, it goes back to the thing,
0: you know, or even, even like invasion of the body snatchers, you know, it's like you look human, you know, you you kind (laughs) of, you, you interact with me. uh, I can talk to you, but, uh. Are you really who I think that you are or are you right. something else that is sinister? And, uh, you know, it, it, it's something that has it, been played for decades.
2: Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: But, uh, oh, dude, I could go on, I think, all <laughs> night with you, man, about just going off about this and that. And we talk about the thing and the, the, the no, invasion you'll... of body snatchers. But, uh, man, we'll American Werewolf, you know, again, was a great film. I'm so glad that you brought it up. Um, American Werewolf in London, of course not Paris, uh, London. Um, (laughs) It's on Netflix right now, so if you haven't seen it, you need to see it because it's brilliant in terms of storytelling, uh, entertaining interaction. I think between um, the actors, the main actors, you know, of course David and um, zombie guy, of course, uh, Yeah, yeah, Griffin Dunn. yeah, yeah. Um, as well as great effects, great practical effects that you will not, absolutely. they will stick with you and I just think are, are a testament to great uh, craft, you, know, um, you yeah. know, being great artisans of what they do. It's, it's uh, man, yeah, something I, fantastic. So thank you, John. I mean, this awesome. is.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. I we'll have to do this again. I, I hope so. I hope so. Oh, of course, um, let me bring up your uh, website again. It's johnfdtaff.com. Right. Am I not right? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where and you else? Can follow
2: me on Twitter at at johnfdtaff. Um, uh, I would also, uh, like I said earlier, urge people to go to Books of the Dead, which is booksofthedeadpress.com. Um, and you know, go to my Amazon page, uh, which is I don't know what it is. It's got some you know twenty character. Address, but just go to Amazon and input my name, John F.D. Taff, and it'll call it my. I've got a couple of short stories that are on there for the Kindle um, that aren't in the book um, that you can just buy uh, to download your Kindle. I I took some of them off. I think there's probably only about three or four still left up there. And I have some older stuff, but definitely, you know, little deaths. Um, Cool. I would urge people to grab it, I think they will like it.
0: I know they will like it. Um, Actually, (laughs) yeah, yeah. JohnFDTaff.com, and I'll have all these links up on the show notes. And John, um, I I would uh, actually really like to uh, get a lot of these, uh, you know, a couple, two maybe of the paperbacks off of Amazon here, and I will uh, give them away. To a couple Fantastic. of lucky listeners, so I will. Uh, I'm going to order these. I don't, I'm, okay. I'm not like putting you on the spot right now and saying, "No, no, give no, no, me, that's fine. I, give uh, me that's books." Cool,
2: I appreciate that. But you uh, know what? I will say is if uh, you can get them to me first, I'll actually autograph them.
0: All and right, we'll let's figure do that.
2: We can figure something out with that. I'd love to do that.
0: Let's do that. I will. Um, yeah, let's. We'll talk about this and uh, sure. figure out how we'll do this. But uh, so uh, a couple lucky listeners right now will get some uh, autographed uh, little deaths. Right now, by, by John F. D. Taff. and uh, it will be something that will, of course, occupy a spot of honor on your <laughs> bookshelf because I hope so. oh, I know it will. It's, these are great <laughs> stories, and uh, you're gonna want to you know get to know John and follow him. Thank you. All right, I've had a blast. Good night.
2: Good night
1: listen sister the slaughter's begun already you look the other way you might just end up getting a nice size bite kicking out of your rear end well there
0: it is that's all i got this week for the electric chair the fantastic 20th episode hip hip hooray oh yeah yeah but uh wonderfulness thank you to john fd taff you uh, have all those links in the show notes like i say over and over again um but i definitely recommend little deaths now here's the contest part told you to stick around because you're gonna want this and I actually mentioned it at the end of the interview but uh, here's what you got to do you know I got uh, two copies to give away and John is going to autograph them and personalize them to our winners which is super cool for him to do and uh, he gave me a special rate on the books because of course you know I hate asking people to give stuff to me to give stuff away I want to support the vision and the, the work of, uh, these wonderful artists. So, um, yeah, I, so I, I'm buying these books from him. He's autographing them and, uh, they will be sent to the winners. So, uh, I'm going to leave it easy. You know, I used to run contests and say, Oh, you got to jump through this hoop and that hoop, and you got to do all this crazy stuff, whatever. Um, I want to keep it simple, uh, because I really think that, uh, you're going to want to read this book and have a great time with it. So all you got to do is just email me. Let me know you want to be part of the contest. I'm going to give you two weeks here. So by episode 22 or something, you know, that's when I'll hold the drawing. So, uh, you know, get them in and get them in quick. Uh, You can email me at Corey at MidnightCorey.com. You can contact me right through ElectricChairShow.com on the contact page. There's a little form there that uh, you can use. Um, Or just let me know on Twitter or Facebook. You know, however, call the voicemail say you'd like to be entered in. But uh, yeah, really, really cool. So you could be the proud next owner of Little Deaths by John F.D. Taft. Great collection, like I've said at least 1,000 times this episode, so I hope you got it. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, yeah, electricchairshow.com, like I said, is the website. Uh, Midnightcorey.com is the place where I have been neglecting to post anything lately, but there's a lot up there for you to enjoy. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and all that good stuff that you can find on the website. So thank you once again for listening. This has been a great, great, fun episode. Uh, as we speak actually if you're listening to this the day it comes out I'm still in Vandergrift, Pennsylvania at the drive-in super Monsterama. and uh man that's really exciting so that will probably be the subject of the next episode because I plan on uh, doing some stuff right then and there so yeah but uh thanks again for listening and I'll be talking with you again next week
1: you want more of that you want more of that. Two eyes, two in the sea of that? A liver drowned in the vodka batch You want more of that? You want more of that? Now the TV's on and the radio's on Cause nobody can make a choice Fools, want noise? Fools, want noise? Well, the news has been dead for the show months, But it's two for two So step right up, jump and have some of that We're they tell me about God A Caucasian man that lives in a cloud How about that? You want more of that? Well, they said that sexuality has something to do